Our passage comes from John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and the place, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Here Jesus, here Jesus, or let me back up, here Thomas is now gathered with the rest of the other ten disciples, because there are now eleven of them. And the circumstances are very familiar, because they're basically identical to the prior passage, when the other ten disciples gathered, locked the door for fear of the Jews. Here they are, once again, all gathered, except for this time Thomas is there. The one who was absent last time. But everything else is basically identical. Do you see? And Thomas being the one that missed out. Of all the disciples, of all the things that you could say you have the fear of missing out on, could you imagine? Jesus is risen from the grave. He appears to his disciples. They're all there except you. You're the one missing. You're the one that's not there. If you actually look in the other Gospels, you can actually see why. But of all the disciples, Thomas will not be moved. Even as all of the other disciples say, we have seen the Lord, Thomas replies to them, unless. Unless. Unless I will Never, never 
believe. Unless. It's a word that really hangs and looms on Thomas's words. Among all of the things that he says, it's one of the words that really casts a shadow. Unless. It's the condition. The threshold that he demands be met. Otherwise, he will not believe. Unless is the circumstance. It's what he demands must be met. You know, of all the disciples, Thomas here in this gospel is both an apostle and a disciple. And what I mean by that is he's among the other ten. One of the founding members of Christ's church, the church that Jesus is establishing with these original members here and now, and from which the rest of the church, the body of Christ, will grow, flourish, and change the world. So he's one of those. But do you know what Thomas is also? He's also a disciple. And what I mean is he's somebody like you and me. He fills the role of somebody like you and me because in this circumstance, he has not seen Jesus upon his resurrection. It's the thing that he has not seen It's the thing that causes Thomas to say, unless. It's the thing that he did not witness, therefore he says, I will not believe. However, for the rest of us, for every subsequent generation after this, everyone else also did not see. True? If you're not among the original disciples and followers of Jesus, a part of that generation who happened to be there, then you're plumb out of luck because you didn't get to see it either. Amen? All right? So in that sense, in this moment and in this time, Thomas is in the same boat as any of the rest of us have been or would be. I did not see. And because I did not see, I will not believe. Unless I see and I touch, I will not believe. It brings to mind a question. Because all of this has to do with belief. What does it take to believe that Jesus is God? That's the question. What does it take to believe that Jesus is God? We're going to see here in this passage that insight to see the significance of Christ's resurrection is what it takes to believe that Jesus is God. It takes insight. Insight to see the significance of Christ's resurrection. There are three things that I want to highlight in terms of this. 
But when I say insight to see the significance of Christ's resurrection, it's this, that simply seeing, simply observing doesn't mean that we've really understood. There's a lot of people who see, right? There's a lot of people who see the world around them and don't understand it. There's a lot of people who see circumstances and situations and yet cannot comprehend it. Seeing is not necessarily the end-all, be-all. And in fact, I can tell you with certain confidence that that is true. Insight to see the significance of Christ's resurrection is required. And the first thing that I want to point out is that belief, what we call faith, is a matter of insight, not just sight. A matter of insight, not just sight. For Thomas, everything is about sight. What he sees. What he touches. And I think that a lot of people, we might say, well, you know what? If I could see, if I could have certain demands met, then belief would be easy. Amen? How many of you trust easy? How many of you trust easy? Or maybe the better way to put it is, how many of you trust hard? Trust is not easy to you. Trust comes very difficult. It is something hard to gain from you, but easy to break with you. The reason I ask that question is because in life, I think we think, you know, if I just had trustworthy people around me, people that I could count on, then I could have real absolute trust. You know, failure, any kind of failure isn't, doesn't mean that somebody is untrustworthy. It just means they're not Jesus. It just means that they're not perfect. But I think what we have observed is there are people in our lives who definitely demonstrate trustworthiness. Wouldn't you say? I hope so. If not, then we're all here, like a bunch of us here are just people who can trust no one. But here's what I found, is that no matter how trustworthy someone is, is that as human beings, it's so easy to say, well, if I just had trustworthy people around me, then I could trust. But as soon as somebody lets us down, in a, whether in reality or in our own perception, what happens to the trust? Is it the same? Or does it take a hit? Does it crumble a bit? Or maybe crumble a lot? The same trust we hope that others would have in us, we have a real easy time taking away from others, right? I say that is just because sight is like the same thing. We think if I see it, then that will be enough. But I promise you this, as human beings, sight is not enough on, of its, on its own, not without insight. 
Because when we see things, in the moment we might have confidence, but as soon as something else occurs that shakes that confidence, all of a sudden the memory of what we saw seems so fuzzy. And we ask, did I really see it? Did I really experience it, right? If you've ever been on a boat, there are different sized boats. And the bigger the boat, the more confidence it gives you, right? That this boat is solid. This boat has got you. You're good. But no matter how big the boat is, no matter how solid it is, if there are a storm on the way, and the boat is getting rocked a bit, no matter how solid the boat is, people begin to question. Because in the midst of clouds, in the midst of rain, in the midst of storm, sight only goes so far. That's why, even in terms of our experiences as human beings, we can try to satisfy all of our human senses. Touch, smell, taste, hearing, right? Sight. And yet, what do these senses demand? To experience it all over again, because it forgets, right? If only the meal we had, ah, oh, the that one meal that we had that was so memorable could stay in our memories, on our tongues, in our noses. We could never forget it. Then we wouldn't have to spend another dime to try to replicate it, right? But our senses fall short of that. You see, it's not about sight. It's about insight. For God, belief goes beyond simply what you see, but rather what you understand about what you see. Let me say that again. It's not about what we see. It's about understanding what we see. That's what it is for God. For all we see, we often don't notice what we see. And far less understand what we see. This is part of the problem that we have as human beings. In events that happen in our lives, we're often seeing but not understanding. You ever been in a car accident or been at the scene of some incident that went down and when people ask, did you see that? Come to find you missed a whole lot. You were seeing it, but you didn't fully take it in. How many times have you watched a movie and, you know, watch it a second time and realize, wow, I missed a lot the first time around. Watch it a third time even more. And I recommend this with maybe ones you like. If you don't like it, then don't watch it again, maybe. But it just goes to show that we see a whole lot and we think, and we put a lot of stock into what we see. Do we put as much or more stock in understanding? Because we should. Insight. Sight is so much more than the physical aspect of viewing. For Thomas, he'd seen so much. Consider. 
Throughout this gospel, Thomas has been there in the entire, basically the entire ministry, earthly ministry of Jesus, right? He has seen all of the signs except the last one, which is a risen Jesus. He hadn't yet seen him. But he had seen everything else. All of the, you know, all of the, the, the sickness and illness and disease, the power of sin being broken in those ways, health restored, even life raised up again. Thomas has heard every word that Jesus has taught. He's seen it, heard it all, taken it in. He has been with Jesus every moment. All the signs that Jesus has had posted that were pointing to who he is, his identity. And then, and he missed it. Because what does he say? Unless I see, touch, I will never believe. This is not a scenario where he says, no, I believe. I just, you know, I'm struggling with. No, he says, I will never believe. After all that. And then I want to point out that all of the other disciples, the other ten, the, the, the ones that he knows that are like brothers, they have lived together, they have followed Jesus together, they have fought storms literally together, they have been to every single basic scenario that one could live with other people in. Maybe closer than brothers. Some of them are brothers, right? And yet, when they come to Thomas and they say, we have seen the Lord, what does Thomas say? No. I will never believe unless. Belief is a matter of insight. Because if Thomas had insight then everything he'd already seen up to that point, everything he'd already heard up to that point, every testimony that the other disciples are give, were giving him would have resulted in him saying, my Lord and my God, I believe. But he saw, he touched, he participated in it all, but fell short of insight. It's the gift of God to believe. Jesus says later in the passage, have you believed because you have seen me? He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those or blessed are those does that sound familiar to you all when jesus is on the mount or on the plain giving his sermon and he goes through a list when he says blessed are those of all of the blessings of all the beatitudes there's really only one really only one that exists which is to have believed upon the Lord Jesus 
even if you have not seen. See, to believe is a gift of God. To believe in Jesus without having seen Him, that is a gift of grace. And we're going to get into why that is in just a minute, but Jesus makes it clear. Blessed are those who believe and yet have not seen. The implication is clear. So belief is a matter of insight. But it is also then this gospel's main purpose to lead its readers to believe in Jesus Christ. It's the second thing that I want us to see from our passage. This gospel's main purpose is to lead its readers to believe in Jesus Christ. That's what is written in this gospel by one of the people who was there. Whom, by the way, Thomas would not believe. He says in verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not in this book, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. What the apostle here, as he writes this gospel, is saying is that That is the main goal. That is the main purpose of this writing, of this gospel. And the gospel, gospel means good news. But in this gospel, he makes it clear that the gospel itself is a a sign, is a witness, is a testimony. See, Thomas really underestimated the value of the testimony. But it is a sign, and a powerful one at that. For everyone who believes, faith is a wonderful gift of grace. God gives us the gift of faith. Let's be clear about that. Faith is a gift that comes from God, that God gives. Can we... Say amen to that. But the second half of that is that we must also choose to accept that gift with submission. You see, one can give a gift, but just because somebody offers you a gift and is extending it to you, it does, receive, it does require the other party to take the gift, to receive the gift. And we might ask, well, how do you receive this gift? How do you receive the gift of faith, this gift of grace? How do you, give, how do you receive this gift to believe in Jesus, that He is the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Son of God? How do you receive that, even as God gives that? That's the question, is it not? Because we're always asking, How can I believe? If it is a gift that God gives, how can I believe? How can I receive it? And the answer in the short of that is submit. Submission. Submission. Submission is at the heart of belief and at the core of trusting. Submitting to believe. When we talk about belief, about faith, 
about trust. They are all related, one and the same, and they are all received by submission. You know, when we talk about trusting in somebody, that's what we're doing. Especially when somebody says that they are an authority on something, that they know something you don't, that they have something you don't, when they offer it to you, you are trusting them at their word. For maybe based on who they are, their credentials, their talents, their gifts, their resources. But you see, that's a matter of trust. We exercise trust every day or faith on some level every day. How many of us here are people who really steep themselves in science? Great. But even with science, we're trusting in that people have done the research, that people have gone through the process. Amen? How many of us have combed through the research ourselves? Whenever we're talking about like science and, you know, the things of the world, how many of us are repeating things that we take on faith based on other people's expertise? Right? We didn't do the, our own research. We didn't comb through it. But we're trusting. It's a misnomer to say that, oh, you know, religion is all about faith, but life is not about faith. I would use a word here, but then, you know, it's too expletive-laced to be able to say it. No, life is all about faith. Life is all about belief. Amen? It is all about belief. Maybe you've just been trained to think that it's not, but it is. And we're always trusting and resting upon belief of one kind or another, and ultimately, when it comes to God, faith. Belief in God is a gift that he gives us and we can receive it when we submit to him, when we submit to trusting him. That's the main purpose of this gospel, to believe. Third, ultimately belief in Jesus is about life in the present, not just the past. I have mentioned this before, and there's a reason why it keeps coming up again. Because belief, faith in Jesus, is not something that just stays in the past. For Thomas, he says, My Lord and my God, upon seeing Jesus. If you look at all of the disciples, their interaction with Jesus, when they see His resurrected, risen, their risen Lord, are people who are transformed and changed. It's not just about what happened in the past. There are two parts of life that Christians often overemphasize. Let me say that again. There are often two parts of life that Christians overemphasize. And what are they? the past, and the future. 
We'll talk about the past, of all the baggage that we've had in our lives, of everything that happened and occurred in our lives that has shaped us, that has molded us, that has impacted us, that has played a part in who we are. We'll talk about that baggage. We'll talk about that pain. We'll talk about those good times. We'll talk about all of the things that happened in the past. On the the other end of the spectrum, we'll talk about the future of all that could be, of all that can be, of all that we want, of all that we hope for, of all that we aspire for, of all that we wish, of all that we desire. We'll talk about the future. We'll think about the future. Even when the future isn't yet here, we're focused on that, thinking about that, dreaming on that. The part of life that Christians often underemphasize is the present. We underemphasize the present. We certainly have been forgiven of our sins through the cross of Christ. Amen? Amen. We have freed from the grip of our past. So yes, we should be appreciative, we should be glad, we should be grateful, but the relevance of that only matters if we live life in His name within the present. The past only matters as much as it impacts the present. Can I get an amen to that? That's why past hurts, past pains, past struggles matter, right? Because it left a scar, it left a wound, and that wound is still still being dealt with by a lot of people in the present, and that's why it still matters. If they'd gotten over it, if they'd been healed from it, if they'd been freed from it, then the present, that wouldn't matter that way. Right? The present would mean a whole different thing. But for often, often for people, they're living in the past. Because past is still present. But the past only matters. It's relevant, relevance for us in the forgiveness we received, in the grace that freed us from the grip of our past is only re- relevant to the degree that it matters when we live in his name within the present now. We eventually also arrive at life forevermore. It's the life that we hold Onto, it's the promise that the Lord Jesus has given indeed. Amen? The promise of life that is forevermore in his presence. When we talk about everlasting, eternal life, it's wrong. I think it's incomplete um, to think of it as just simply forever. Forever, I think, gives it a totally different connotation. It's eternity, but it is the relationship and context that matters. It's being united in harmony with God forevermore and therefore because of our harmony with Him, harmony with everything and everyone else. It's about everything we don't know, spending it in eternity, learning what we don't know and having insight to the degree that we could never have fully in this life and spending it all in awe of all that God has done. It's an eternity, it's in harmony, in fellowship, in worship to God as we lift up song, as we sing praise, as we utter truth, as we declare it, as we experience every exquisite amount and bit of joy because we are living in the fullest, 
fullness of what it means to be truly human. Amen? That, eventually, that forevermore in fellowship with God will eventually arrive. But only if we live life in His name within the present now. Now is what matters. Now has always been what matters. But isn't it true, even for you, that you either probably live too much in the past or the future? That you're banking too much on the past or the future? But not spending enough time in the now? Right now? Living in the name of Jesus in light of his resurrection? Now is always what has been what matters. It's all that matters from the standpoint of what we can impact. We can't change the past, and the future is not yet here. But the present can make the most of the past that Christ has freed us from, and make the most of the future that has been promised to us. The now, the present, is all that matters. Because now is what everything hinges on. Amen? Belief in Jesus is always about now. Let me say that again. Belief in Jesus is always about now. And yet, Somehow, when I have been in the church, for some, I have heard way too often, belief in Jesus is always about what was. Or belief in Jesus is about what will be. How can that be? When life in Christ the risen, resurrected Lord is all about life. And life is lived neither in the past nor in the future, but in the present. Amen? We need to be really conscious of now. Because now is where we have the opportunity for insight. Now is where we can say, Lord, I, Jesus, I submit to you to believe. And when I say, Lord, I submit to you to believe, that's a submission that we make every day. One initially to come to faith, and then one every day to submit and prove that that faith is persistent and true and genuine and real. Amen? It's all about now. So I ask you, as Jesus came and rose from the grave and a new life has given you the point by which to focus and behold, do you behold his resurrection to believe each and every day, today? And today to be, behold him and believe 
in his name. Like that's all that matters today. It's all that matters today. Which means that everything else we do, if that's all that matters, that everything else has to be colored by all that only matters, which is Jesus and living in his name to the fullest today. Amen? Are you living in the present, in faith, in submission? Are you doing it with insight? Belief is a gift of God, one that we receive through submission and insight into the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel to believe in Christ is to live in his resurrection, most importantly now, in the present. Let's pray.